Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Breaking news as President Trump continues to rail against, as far as the evidence shows, baseless claims of corruption. The first member of Congress to back his White House run, has just pleaded guilty to crimes connected to actual proven corruption. Republican Chris Collins of New York, the congressman who officially resigned from the House of Representatives today, pleaded guilty for charges related to insider trading. CNN's Bryn Gingras joins me now from outside the courthouse. Bryn, tell us what happened inside the courtroom. Yeah, Jake, well, Chris Collins actually just left the courthouse and jumped into a van, didn't say a word. Now, remember, this is a man who adamantly denied any wrongdoing for the last year. This morning, he became a former congressman. By this afternoon, he became a convicted felon, pleading guilty to two charges, conspiracy to commit securities fraud and making false statements, each which carry a five-year penalty. Uh, Remember, he admitted now to making a call on the White House lawn at a congressional picnic to his son, telling him about a failed drug trial, which he served on the board of that drug company, allowing his son and an associate to essentially dump stock, saving money. Uh, He's now going to face sentencing for that uh, in January. Jake. All right, Bryn Gingras, thank you so much. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. I'm Jake Tapper, and we begin this hour with breaking news. Three top House Democrats this afternoon are accusing Secretary of State Mike Pompeo of intimidating witnesses in an effort to protect himself and President Trump. Secretary of State Pompeo today said he is refusing to honor Democrats' requests for depositions of five State Department officials, and he accused Democrats of bullying. Secretary Pompeo, we should note, was on the call in question with President Trump and Ukraine's president, a source tells CNN. And as CNN's Abby Phillip reports, President Trump is also keeping up his attacks. He's also going after Democrats as well as the media and the whistleblower. While President Trump continues to attack the whistleblower behind his impeachment inquiry, both on Twitter and on camera. You have a whistleblower that reports things that were incorrect. His secretary of state today is pushing back on House Democrats looking to question some of his employees. In a letter, Mike Pompeo saying Democrats are trying to intimidate, bully and treat improperly the distinguished professionals of the Department of State. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff today refusing to answer questions about Pompeo's letter. Instead, issuing this statement late this afternoon, along with two other committee chairmen, saying Pompeo should immediately cease intimidating department witnesses in order to protect himself and the president. Uh, thank you very much. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Zelensky, whose phone call with President Trump triggered the investigation, now trying to distance himself from the controversy, insisting that he never met with Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and denying that he was pressured by Trump to investigate Biden. Did you feel pressure from President Trump to investigate the Bidens in order to unfreeze military uh, Yes, I understood. I'd like to tell you that I never feel pressure. All this as the president's defenders follow his lead in trying to disparage the whistleblower's credibility. The thing is filled with, I don't know, 
I heard, I overheard. There's not a single time he says, I know. Trump's other personal lawyer, Jay Sekulow, arguing the president didn't break the law. What is the rule, regulation, statute that was violated in the conversation that the president had with the president of Ukraine? None. Nothing. And Jake, there are some Trump allies who are concerned that the White House was not adequately prepared for this fast-moving impeachment inquiry. And while we've learned that there is not expected to be a war room, we have also learned that the president's aides are expected to present him with a response plan as soon as this week. Jake. All right, Abby Phillip, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Let's chew over all of this with our experts. Uh, uh, Dana, let me start with you. Can Secretary of State Pompeo just ignore these demands from House Democrats? And what recourse do the House Democrats have? Uh, the courts, which, as we know from experience with the Democrats in this White House, that could take some time. Uh, can he do it? Uh, I think a lot of it depends on what legally, and you can answer this, uh, the administration exerts, whether they actually say, no, there's executive privilege, and whether or not that can really pass muster. And, you know, the question is, the, the lower level employees, the most interesting thing is going to be uh, former now former Ambassador Volker, because he resigned. He is not an employee. Uh, we are told that he does still intend he was invited to come and talk to the House uh, Democrats on Thursday. We're told that he does plan to attend still. I got a, a letter that he sent to the uh, McCain Institute trustees. He is still the head of the McCain Institute saying just that, that he does plan mm. on going. And that could be uh, very interesting. And it is also noteworthy that he's still saying that even though Mike Pompeo clearly sent out a shot across the bow in that tweet today. Yeah. And, and Kim uh, Whaley, you have a new book out or in paperback called How to Read the Constitution <laughs> uh, and Why uh, the Constitution Lays Out Impeachment for Treason, Bribery, Other High Crimes and Misdemeanors. Uh, we have seen obstruction of Congress as an article of impeachment in the past, I guess, against Nixon. Um, what, what do you think about the showdown going on right now between Pompeo and the House Democrats? Do House Democrats have an oversight role here and that enables them to call for employees of the State Department to, to testify? Yes. As part of their legislative authority, they have investigative authority and they could move to compel compliance with the subpoenas, which would then take it to the courts. And the argument would be maybe executive privilege, although that's not a blanket privilege. That's mm -hmm. not a reason to completely blow off and ignore the subpoenas. Uh, the second argument might be we've heard, oh, there's no legislative purpose. But now that there's an impeachment proceeding, I think that's really tough. But as I talk about in the book, the, the, the whole issue here is, is, is there compliance? Is there enforcement of something like a subpoena request? If there's no enforcement, then the, the showdown will continue. The stonewalling will continue. Yeah. The Constitution only functions if there are consequences for violating its terms. It's like a job description. And that's what impeachment really is. It's a pink slip for people that aren't doing the job. It's not putting somebody in jail. It's, it's really determining whether this is person, this person is proper for being in this office. And it's set up so that the, the Congress is the body that oversees on behalf of the people, the pers person who's in the Oval Office. Tulu, is there a strategy at the White House other than having their most loyal f supporters and aides go out and claim that this is a coup d'etat and come up with all sorts of misleading lies? Is there an actual strategy? The, the challenge is that there are multiple strategies and they're sort of conflicting and they're all happening at once. You have the pers president's personal lawyers. I spoke to Jay Sekulow yesterday and he said they're going to follow the Mueller playbook 
they, they had the outside lawyer sort of running the shop, running the show there, and they feel that they were able to win what he said was a, a war then, and uh, this is more of a skirmish in his words, so they don't need a, an official war room. So they believe that having the outside lawyers operating and, and handling a lot of the president's uh, personal legal issues will sort of lead the, lead, lead the, the, the charge. But when you have the other Republicans sort of following other playbooks, you have some Republicans following the president. You have others saying, you know, the president's going too far and talking about civil war. Uh, so you do have multiple strategies, and it does seem like the president's running point, but you don't really have all of the Republicans, all of the conservatives, all the people that the president needs to be on the same team. They're not all operating uh, along the same playbook, and that's why you do seem to have conflicting messages coming from different parts of the effort. I think we're starting to see a strategy just in the last day or two. That is, Nancy Pelosi has a strategy. That is, let's not do Mueller all over again. Let's make this narrow and fast. Let's cauterize the wound, and if we can't get anywhere, we better go out back to guns and health care. What do you see happening from the White House? Pompeo today, let's see if we can extend this. Longer is better. And let's see if we can make it beyond the narrow. It's about a presidential phone call to include Pompeo, Mm -hmm. Rudy Giuliani, State Department officials. The longer they go, the better it is. The White House wants to amputate with a butter knife. Because if they go too fast, the risk is somebody's going to show up at the Hill and say, yes, the president did that, and we're off to the races. I'm starting to, I'm not sure it's a orchestrated strategy, but longer and more complicated, I suspect, is better from the White House. But when and if the White House continues to say, no, you're not going to talk to the people here at the White House who the uh, whistleblower named, Pompeo continues to say what he's saying about his employees at the State Department, the committee chairs are already saying in black and white, white, if you continue to say no, we are going to use that as another piece of evidence in our impeachment inquiry. And and you know, holding you, uh, you know, to account for obstructing, which is part of impeachment. And one of the things that's interesting uh, is how much this call and the transcript of it uh, fits in with reporting previously and currently uh, about the president on the phone with uh, foreign heads of state. A source telling CNN that President Trump was so often unprepared for calls with foreign leaders that during uh, Chief of Staff John Kelly's tenure. He would be coached during the conversations. They would hit mute. Uh, he had to be reeled in by aides. And this is how we've seen the president talk in public. He's freewheeling. The source also saying, quote, he would go on random tangents about the Mueller investigation with foreign leaders. It was unnecessary and unhelpful. And sometimes he just wouldn't have his facts straight. And he would really rattle some of the foreign leaders with whom he spoke. And, and this isn't this is squarely in the context of this call that's what this call sounds like yeah and if you've listened if you read any of the the books that have been written by white house insiders people who have left the administration they talk about these discussions they have with the president where he rambles where he goes off topic where he dominates the conversation by talking about things that were not part of this part of the agenda going into these meetings this seems to be what he does with foreign leaders as well instead of talking about top foreign policy priorities, which we didn't see very many of them on this transcript with Ukraine. He talks about his own personal grievances. He talks about what they can do for him and his own personal political interest. And that's what has gotten him into hot water. And that may be why people around him wanted to segregate these calls and put them on a separate server, because not only might they be embarrassing, but they may also include information uh, with the president trying to pursue or talk about political issues when he should be pursuing uh, foreign policy. And uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican in the Senate, uh, gave a very strong statement today about the need to protect and respect whistleblowers. 
uh, clearly seem to be aimed at President Trump. Has President Trump uh, come anywhere near the line in terms of actually intimidating or violating the Whistleblower Protection Act, do you think? Well, again, it depends on what the consequences are for violation. But clearly, the Whistleblower Protection Act is designed to keep this process anonymous. And all this talk about hearsay and things, it's completely irrelevant. It's like someone calls and tells a police officer, I I heard where the body's buried. You go and check where the body's buried. The baton's been handed off by this whistleblower to Congress, and then you have to follow the facts. But the things that the president are saying are deeply disturbing because it not only, if this person is outed, puts this person and their family at some some risk, um, but also creates a chilling effect. Then the whistleblower statute itself won't function. People won't tell because oh. they're worried. Everyone stick around. We've got much more to talk about. They are two of President Trump's men, and now they are permanently tied to that phone call with the Ukrainian president, but they may not be on the same page then. The president keeps tweeting falsehoods about the whistleblower complaint. We've got the truth. You're watching a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Stay with us. Welcome back to a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. New questions today for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, now that we know he was also on that call on July 25th between President Trump and the president of Ukraine, according to a source, in which the president of the United States asked the president of Ukraine to investigate one of his political rivals, Joe Biden. Pompeo conveniently never mentioned that when asked about the whistleblower complaint about that call. What do you know about those conversations? So you just gave me a report about a IC whistleblower complaint, none of which I've seen. Do you think it's, quote, perfectly fine to ask a foreign leader to investigate a political opponent? I think I saw a statement from the Ukrainian foreign minister yesterday said there was no pressure. Not exactly forthcoming. I want to bring in CNN's Evan Perez and Kylie Atwood. And Kylie, let me start with you. Pompeo is now calling out Democrats at the beginning interviews tomorrow with State Department officials. Is he just not going to cooperate? Is he going to block people from testifying and not supply documents? Well, right now he's not completely blocking people from not testifying. He's essentially not slamming the door shut, but he's saying no in some sense. He is very frustrated here. He does say not right now. Over the next two weeks, when the House scheduled uh, these depositions to take place, he said that those dates are not feasible. And he said it's because of legal and procedural reasons. And he lays that out in this long letter that he sent to the Hill today. Uh, Some of the reasons he states is that the folks that they want to talk to have to have time to get their own private attorneys if they choose to. They have to have time to meet with State Department lawyers if they want to and to go over all of the documents that have been requested alongside their deposition. But clearly, Jake, the secretary is also making a political statement here. He, He also said he's not going to tolerate the tactics of these House Democrats, and he charged them with bullying these State Department folks. So he's making a a political statement alongside a statement as the Secretary of State, who is the boss of these people that the House Democrats want to talk to. Uh, And and, uh, Evan, you covered the Justice Department. There might be some new signs that the Attorney General Bill Barr is trying to distance himself from Rudy Giuliani, who we know (laughs) is actively in Ukraine trying to pressure or uh, convince uh, Ukrainians to investigate the Bidens. that doesn't sit well with Barr, apparently? Right, it, it doesn't. I mean, you can add Bill Barr to the list of people who have been running away from uh, Rudy Giuliani since the scandal broke, and with good reason. I think he's among the people close to the president who have been warning 
the president that Rudy's strategy, that the Giuliani strategy of being just out there and, and throwing everything they can, he can uh, at the television screens is not a very good way to go about this. And so I think that's one of the things that has been a big concern for Bill Barr. And he certainly doesn't want to be lumped in uh, with Rudy Giuliani. Of course, it's a big problem with that is that the president himself is the one that put Bill's bar, Bill Barr's name, the attorney general's name, uh, you know, alongside Rudy Giuliani when he said, that, you know, I want you to work with these people uh, to the Ukrainian president to try to get this information out there. And, and Evan, at Barr's request, President Trump has been pressing other countries to help Barr investigate the origins of the Russia investigation, according to a source. I guess the question is, is this investigation into the origin of the Russia investigation, is it legit or is this just an attempt to please President Trump by attacking the FBI. I'm sorry, I should ask that to Evan. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, it, look, it is, it is a, an ongoing investigation. They've been very public about it. Um, there's a couple of things that are different, Jake. The, the Justice Department says that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. The president, you know, his comments notwithstanding, the Justice Department is very clear on that. So what Barr is doing is looking at some of the, or, the origins of the investigation, whether or not uh, people did anything wrong, whether some people violated the law in that. We don't know that there's any proof of that, but he has had these suspicions since before he became attorney general. And so that's what he's uh, sending John Durham, this prosecutor, uh, to do. And one of the things he's done is he's taken him on these foreign trips, introduced him to foreign officials to get him to, to, to get them to know him and to make that easier for that information to be turned over. Now, we don't know all of the countries, but we know he went to Italy last week. Mm -hmm. uh, we know other countries that have provided information to this investigation, including the United Kingdom, uh, the Netherlands. So you can bet those are the places that John Durham is going to go. And, and Kylie, let me just ask you, do you get any sense from State Department officials that they understand how bad it looks that the Secretary of State was on this call July 25th, according to a source. And yet when Martha Raditz of ABC asked him a couple Sundays ago about it, he was pretty evasive. And looking back on it, knowing that he was on the call, pretty, he wasn't honest. Let's put it that way. Do they have, do they understand that? He was not forthcoming and he didn't get ahead of the story. He let it, he let it get away from him before he could say, I was on the call and make any right. statement before it was reported that he was on the call saying, you know, I thought it was appropriate or what have you, just, you know, based on any conversations that he had with the president. The other thing, however, that State Department officials are talking about a lot right now is the fear of getting involved in this yeah. investigation. You know, sources that I have at the State Department will no longer talk to me because they are going to be subpoenaed. They are fearful of being subpoenaed. And so they don't want to be the ones who get in trouble with the Trump administration and get caught in some political, politically motivated um, investigations here and then are no longer to, able to you know, go forth with their own job as career foreign service officers for the State Department. Kylie, I want Evan Perez. Thank you so much for your expertise. Appreciate it. It's secondhand information. It's hearsay. These are just some of the narratives being pushed by President Trump and his supporters. We're going to break down the myths versus the facts when it comes to whistleblowing. That's next. Welcome back to a special edition of The Lead, the White House in Crisis. President Trump today is pushing a lie about the whistleblower who came forward with concerns about the president's conduct claiming all of the allegations made in his or her report are only, quote, hearsay. But that's not true. The intelligence community inspector general who handled the whistleblower's complaint is forcefully pushing back against that lie and against some others, as CNN's Jessica Schneider now reports. 
Thank you very much, everybody. The president setting off alarms by seeming to make the whistleblower a target. Well, we're trying to find out about a whistleblower. The president publicly declaring he wants to uncover the whistleblower's identity on camera and several times on Twitter. Why aren't we entitled to interview and learn everything about the whistleblower and also the person who gave all of the false information to him? Like every American, I deserve to meet my accuser. But long-established law dating back 30 years protects any whistleblower's anonymity and shields them from retaliation. Can the president demand to know the whistleblower's ID? No. We have strong protections of whistleblowers in this country, developed over many years with a bipartisan consensus. The president's allies are also pushing his conspiracy theory, falsely alleging changes were made to the whistleblower laws soon before this complaint was filed to allow secondhand information to be considered. Trump tweeting, who changed the longstanding whistleblower rules just before submittal of the fake whistleblower report? But a CNN fact check found the rules did not change, with even the inspector general of the intelligence community saying in a statement that the whistleblower used the appropriate form and that it is the same form the ICIG has had in place since May 24, 2018. And the ICIG went on to state that first-hand information has never been required for whistleblowers to lodge a complaint, saying, by law, the complainant need not possess first-hand information in order to file a complaint. Protect this whistleblower. This whistleblower complied with the law. First- and second-hand knowledge are both welcome. Trump complained over Twitter that the complaint was based solely on second-hand information. But that's also not accurate. As the ICIG statement says, the whistleblower stated on the forum that he or she possessed both firsthand and other information. And even top Republican Senator Chuck Grassley seems to be taking issue with the president's persistent attacks on the whistleblower. In a statement, Senator Grassley said the whistleblower's request for confidentiality should be respected and that he or she ought to be heard out before people make judgments and also, Jake, that he or she should be protected. Jake? Principals, Jessica Schneider, thanks so much. Appreciate it. President Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, is in a showdown right now with House Democrats over a subpoena. Our next guest is on the House Committee leading the impeachment inquiry. You're watching a special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. Stay with us. Welcome back. It's a huge week for the House Intelligence Committee. The committee subpoenaed the president's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, demanding documents related to his talks with Ukraine. The U.S. Special Envoy for Ukraine, Kurt Volker, is planning to appear before the committee Thursday for a deposition, a source tells CNN. He has since resigned. And as President Trump aggressively attacks the Intelligence Committee's chairman, Adam Schiff, he's also vowing to find out who the whistleblower is. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Democratic Congressman Joaquin Castro. He sits on the House Intelligence Committee his brother, Julian, is running for president. Uh, Congressman, thank you so much uh, for joining us. The House Intelligence Committee subpoenaed Rudy Giuliani for documents. What are you hoping to learn exactly? And are you expecting that he will comply? I expect that he'll comply eventually. Uh, and, you know, if it means that we have to go to court to get him to comply, then, of course, I'm confident that we'll do that. But hopefully he'll voluntarily come forward and sit for an interview with the House Intelligence Committee. In terms of what we'd like to know from him, I'd like to know what his role was uh, in meeting with these Ukrainians, what he was pressing them for, what the president asked him to do. Uh, he has said that the State Department asked him to go there. In fact, he showed text messages from Kurt Volker. So we need to know who asked him to do what. 
um, and, and also what the responses were from the Ukrainians. Giuliani responded to the subpoena saying, uh, quote, it raises significant issues concerning legitimacy and constitutional and legal issues, including inter alia, attorney, client and other privileges. It will be given appropriate consideration. Let's just talk about um, attorney client privilege. He has said uh, that he was the president's attorney. You're right. And he has acted as a president's personal attorney. But at one point in this process, as he was doing one of his interviews or tweeting, I believe that he said that he didn't go over there as the president's attorney, or at least on one of the trips, he didn't go as the president's attorney. So it's not clear that he would be protected by attorney client privilege. But certainly that's something that may have to be worked out in the courts. The president says he's trying to find out who the whistleblower is. And he has been attacking this person. Uh, Is the president getting close to violating the Whistleblower Protection Act? And what do you and your colleagues intend to do to try to keep the whistleblower's identities uh, from becoming public? Uh, You're right. I mean, that's been one of our top priorities. Uh, Fortunately, that's been a priority for uh, the DNI, for Mr. McGuire, is to keep the anonymity of this person intact. Uh, The president at this point has been very abusive of the Whistleblower Protection Act and really uh, is is basically on the verge of uh, not only revealing the identity or getting somebody else to reveal the identity of the whistleblower, but also bringing harm to that person. Uh, It's getting quite scary the president's behavior and his words and what that could conjure up. What has what is being done to uh, preserve the security and safety uh, of this whistleblower? Well, as I understand, uh, the person is under protection. I expect that that's full federal protection 24 hours a day, as it should be. Uh, And as long as to the larger public, uh, the person is anonymous, then I think that that will probably suffice. Uh, Now, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know if somebody in the White House is who may know the person's identity is going to leak it. Uh, But the federal government should be committed to keeping this person safe wherever he or she is. I want to get your response to a tweet from Congresswoman Maxine Waters, a Democrat from California. She tweeted, impeachment is not good enough for Trump. He needs to be imprisoned and placed in solitary confinement. But for now, impeachment is the imperative. Um, With all due respect, that does not seem to be in keeping with what Speaker Nancy Pelosi has said should be the tone when it comes to uh, impeachment, that it should be done with regret and prayerful and respectful and solemn Uh, That seems to be something else. Yeah, look, I I have a lot of respect for Maxine Waters, and uh, she's a very passionate person and has felt felt very strongly for a long time that the president has broken the law. Um, And so you see those you see that in her words. I think a lot of Americans have been very upset and outraged about the president's conduct. I think all of us want to make sure that this process is a fair one, that there is due process for the president and all the other witnesses that are going to come forward. But we're committed to getting to the bottom of what happened. This inquiry is fast growing and already fairly complicated with the web of people involved. Do House Democrats have a strategy to explain this scandal to the American people? Uh, because it is already, as we learn more information and now that it branches out to, to Attorney General Barr and Secretary Mike Pompeo, Vice President Pence, Rudy Giuliani, to explain it in a way that is clear that the American people can understand what exactly happened so they can assess whether or not they think President Trump deserves to be impeached. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it is important that we explain it and that we explain it simply. And if you look at the whistleblower's complaint, 
and the transcript of that phone call, it's starting to become clear that there was an attempted cover up by the White House of a president abusing his power, uh, betraying his oath of office. And and this investigation every day, it seems like uh, there is a new basically path that we need to follow, uh, a new trail to follow. And so we're going to do that. The uh, White House trade advisor, Peter Navarro, today on uh, Fox Business said that this is an attempted coup. And he said he didn't know who was more dangerous, uh, House Democrats or the Iranians or the Chinese. Your response? I did. I saw that clip. And that language is really obscene, uh, that Peter Navarro would make those comments. Uh, that, those are the, that's the kind of language that can lead to civil unrest in this country. And it's highly responsible for an advisor to the president of the United States to be speaking like that. Uh, those are false claims. But for him to be talking like that is highly irresponsible. Congressman Joaquin Castro, uh, Democrat of Texas, thank you so much. Appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. He once called Donald Trump a, quote, race baiting, xenophobic bigot, unquote. But now Republican Senator Lindsey Graham is one of the president's strongest defenders. What changed? That's next. Only the most loyal Trump allies appeared on the Sunday shows last weekend to try to defend the president in the wake of the whistleblower complaint. Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney. White House senior advisor Stephen Miller. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan was here at State of the Union. House Minority Whip Steve Scalise. And Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, someone who until a few years ago was leading the pack of Trump critics in the Senate. So how did Graham go from calling Mr. Trump unfit for office to becoming one of his most loyal defenders? CNN's Sunland Sarfati reports. With blind devotion to President Trump, Senator Lindsey Graham again proving himself as one of the president's most reliable frontmen. Is this whistleblower, whoever he or she may be, do they have any connection to the intelligence community, the old intelligence community that was corrupt as hell? Graham has fallen in line behind President Trump and become the face of Trump's defense on Capitol Hill. To impeach any president over a phone call like this would be insane. That stance a stunning about face, given his position on impeachment during the Clinton years. You don't even have to be convicted of a crime to lose your job in this constitutional republic if this body determines that your conduct as a public official is clearly out of bounds in your role. Impeachment is about cleansing the office. Impeachment is about restoring honor and integrity to the office. It hasn't always been this way. The Graham of today... I have the president's back because I think this is a setup. ...is a far cry from the Graham of just a few years ago. You know how you make America great again? Tell Donald Trump to go to hell. Known then for slamming Trump during the campaign... He's a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. He doesn't represent my party. And at times going against him, even admitting he urged Senator McCain to turn over the controversial Steele dossier of Trump-Russia allegations to the FBI. But in the last year, Graham has strategically cozied up to the president. The two golf and speak on the phone often. We have a man who has become a friend of mine. It's shocking, isn't it? I like him and he likes him. Graham has a lot to gain politically in hitching his wagon to Trump. 
The senator is up for re-election in South Carolina in 2020, where standing with the president only stands to help his own political future. And Graham in the past has attempted to justify his own transformation in very raw political terms, telling the New York Times magazine earlier this year that his friendship with Trump helps him. It helps him influence Trump on issues that he cares about. And Graham says that anyone who knows him would think it's odd if he did not do this. And asked a follow-up by the reporter what this means, Graham replied to try to be relevant. Jake. Try to be relevant. Sunland Sarfati on Capitol Hill, thanks so much. Uh, Dan Abash, you know Senator Graham pretty well. Is that it? Is that what it's about? Being relevant, staying relevant, even if it means sacrificing many things that a lot of people thought he stood for? That's a big part of it. And he is very open about it. He wants to be relevant. He wants to be part of the conversation. He wants to try to influence the conversation. But for so many years when we covered him on the Straight Talk Express and in post uh, John McCain elections and, and events, being relevant and being part of the conversation was standing in the opposite corner of the Republican Party. But what he has slowly but very surely come to realize and the way that he is acting and behaving right now is that the Republican Party is Donald Trump and he wants to stay a Republican. And so he is going to be a major part of the Trump Republican Party. The other Lindsey Graham, the Lindsey Graham, who was, you know, one part of the three amigos with John McCain, Mm -hmm. be damned. And and one other thing I just want to point out is that it's not just that. It is, as as Sunland talked about, it is South Carolina. He calls South Carolina Trumpistan. As much as he gets, you know, guff from people who say, wait a minute, what happened to you? When he goes home to South Carolina, he is greeted as a hero because they, for the most part, love Donald Trump and love him standing next to him. You can go back to the 90s, to the Clinton impeachment, and find clips of people like Gerald Nadler and Nancy Pelosi saying the exact opposite thing about impeachment that they're saying today. Mm -hmm. But we can also do that on the Republican side. And since we're talking about Lindsey Graham, take a listen to Lindsey Graham's definition of impeachment when it applied to Bill Clinton and he was a House impeachment manager. Impeachment is not about punishment. Impeachment is about cleansing the office. Impeachment is about restoring honor and integrity to the office. It's kind of what people hate about politics, right? That principles only apply when they want to apply them to the other party. Yeah, you know, to pick up on what we were just talking about a moment ago, I mean, this is an advertisement for for term limits, this guy comes from a place that, Dan, that is South Carolina, that Dan Abash says this is Trumpistan. That is, Lindsey Graham is not necessarily sitting around. A lot of us know him from the green room. He's a decent guy. He's thoughtful. He's not exactly sitting around saying what's the perfect thing to do. He's sitting around saying, what do the people in my state say and how do I get reelected in my judgment? He doesn't have to campaign in New York. He doesn't have to campaign in California. He's got to campaign in South Carolina. So I look at this and say, Lindsey Graham looked at the documents, the polling documents from South Carolina and said, I know where to line up if I want a job forever. And that's what he's got. This the is, the go Republican ahead. Party, as Dana was saying earlier, is the Trump Party. If you think about the people who have spoken out against President Trump, even if they have really strong conservative credentials, think about Justin Amash, who was basically kicked out of the party, even though he has been conservative, has been libertarian, scores very high on all of these various outside groups report cards. He was kicked out of the party because he said negative things about President Trump. So anybody in the Republican Party who's not willing to defend the president, who's not willing to go along with the president's even most vulgar uh, attributes, they're going to be kicked out of the party. And Lindsey Graham knows that. And that's part of the reason it is a very, very different thing to 
um, to go along with the president uh, because you want to be relevant and because it is politically viable uh, for you in your home state. Still, again, back to the John yeah. Lindsey Graham with John McCain that, that we knew, especially on this issue of Ukraine. I mean, how many times did we listen to, to John McCain and, and Lindsey Graham talk about how critical it is to, um, to, to prop up Ukraine and to not play politics with it because Ukraine was the way to fight Putin? And the fact that this is the issue yeah. is stunning. Oh, Kim, I want to get your legal take on something that Lindsey Graham uh, has been pushing, which is this whole argument. It's been discredited by the inspector general of the intelligence community that the whistleblower only has hearsay. Uh, he's, the inspector general said he has firsthand information as well as second and third hand information. But Lindsey Graham's been pushing the hearsay argument. Take a listen. This seems to me like a political setup. It's all hearsay. You can't get a parking ticket conviction based on hearsay. Is that true? No, that's not true. Hearsay is admissible in evidence under the federal rules of evidence. There's some exceptions that get it admissible. Um, but in this instance, the statute itself doesn't require firsthand knowledge. We know from the inspector general that there was firsthand knowledge. And in any event, this is handed off in this moment to the Congress. So the whistleblower, the, the credibility of this whistleblower was, to, was evaluated by the inspector general, a Trump appointee, and is really not an issue anymore. The whistleblower is not the issue. The issue is President Trump. So clearly his political team wants to divert uh, American attention to other issues. Um, but in this moment, I, I, I would take one issue with, with this idea that uh, Lindsey Graham is, is supporting his, back, uh, his base in that you Falsehoods are not good for anyone, regardless of where you are politically. A good reminder. Thank you so much. Uh, everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. We have breaking news on the impeachment inquiry. That's coming up next day with us. And we've got some breaking news on the impeachment inquiry into President Trump. We have just learned that former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, who, has, who was previously scheduled uh, for a deposition before Congress tomorrow, has had that deposition rescheduled to next week, according to a source. The source also says that former U.S. Special Envoy for Ukraine, Kurt Volker, confirmed that he will appear before the committee this Thursday. In our 2020 lead today, Democrats are reporting new fundraising numbers today. So far, Senator Bernie Sanders leads the way, raking in more than $25 million in the last quarter. And as CNN's Ryan Nobles reports, Democrats are also ramping up their attacks on President Trump. The impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump, adding a dose of uncertainty into the 2020 Democratic primary. I don't think he has ever understood the gravity of the job, period. As the candidates try to keep their focus on the issues, they're also ratcheting up their attacks on the president. Senator Kamala Harris blasting President Trump's response to the whistleblower report, including his barrage of tweets. Harris taking to Twitter herself, writing, look, let's be honest, real Donald Trump's Twitter account should be suspended. Senator but while impeachment is front and center, the campaign keeps moving forward. I think that the United States Congress is capable of walking and chewing bubblegum at the same time. Third quarter fundraising reports are beginning to roll in. Bernie Sanders posting a $25.3 million haul, $7 million more than he raised in the second quarter. The Vermont senator already putting that cash to use. We need a fighter, Bernie Sanders. Launching his first TV ads of the 2020 race in Iowa, where polls show him falling behind Senator Elizabeth Warren and former Vice President Joe Biden. Second quarter, paysetter South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg announced he brought in more than $19 million in the past three months, about $6 million less than the previous quarter. 
And Senator Cory Booker, who just 10 days ago warned his campaign would likely be over without a big infusion of cash. It's been uh, the best sort of period of fundraising we've had for the campaign. Raised roughly $6 million in the third quarter, boosted by more than $2 million in the final 10 days. And in just the last hour, we received the new numbers for Kamala Harris's campaign. She raised $11.6 million, which is consistent with her efforts in the first two quarters. Harris now has $10 million cash on hand, which will allow her campaign to continue. But she is still trailing many of the candidates that she's also behind in the polls. Jake. All right, Ryan. Thank you so much. Appreciate that update. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thank you so much for watching this special edition of The Lead, The White House in Crisis. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.